for our people that are here in the soundstage. Just be aware, we've run out of the really nice ones and we ordered a bunch of the others, the um, ones normally called rip and sips. We have ordered the really nice ones, but they are, thank you, they are somewhere, I think, on a ship because they say, uh, Amazon says they can get it to us by the end of February. So um, we will wrestle with our first world problems, shall we? And we will make our way through. We're going to be in Mark 2. And we're, by the way, later this morning, uh, at the end of the sermon, we're going to reference two losses that our Safe Harbor Church has experienced, two of our members who have passed. And we will also mention another who is struggling right now. But right now, we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 2. We want to look at these stories with a new set of eyes. And if I have any gift at all, it is that God gave me a brain that looks at things through two different sets of eyes than, um, than perhaps preachers do. And I love ministers, don't get me wrong. Um, I just, sometimes I'm aware I'm not one of them. I can remember back in school when somebody... Uh, would talk about their girlfriend wanting, saying she wants a little bit of time and distance. And they're saying, I think my girlfriend's cheating on me or breaking up on me. When my girlfriend said she wanted a little, she needed a little time and distance, my first thought was, is she calculating velocity? So my, I have a, a different way of looking at things, but I love the Jesus stories. And this is one of those chapters, it shows us that Jesus is not just with us. He is also for us. He's on our side in ways that we would just never be able to, as, to guess at. The Olympics are coming up again, maybe. Maybe. Everything keeps getting canceled, we're aware, but maybe. I've, I've used this illustration before, more apropos of the Summer Olympics perhaps, but let's say the race is there and the top racers and you're, you find yourself among them. The starter pistol goes off and everybody takes off and it becomes very quickly obvious to everybody in the stadium and to you that you do not belong on this track. They are going so much faster than you that it's becoming, it's slowly going from you're the underdog to you're the joke of the show. They even begin to lap you a few times. Whenever finally the, the race is over, you don't even finish, you just stop. Hope that you can wander off, not be noticed by anybody. And the judges all run up to you and grab you and start hauling you off toward the podium and you're going, guys, guys, a joke's a joke, but this is just cruelty at this stage. And they're flinging the metal on you and you're saying, what, guys, just stop it. And they're going, no, you don't understand. Your father's the judge. That's really what you see in Jesus. And sadly, churches throw many layers of problems on top of the simple stories. In Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we find the very well-known story of a paralyzed man who's lowered through the roof of the church and then he's healed, except we got to back up a little bit. It wasn't really a church, it was a house. Jesus was in the house. It was a gathering of people to meet Jesus. It was a meet and greet, I guess. And he was just talking and more and more people came. I'm, I have no idea how old I was because my, most of my childhood is a, is a fog of, uh, you know, 
terror. But um, there was a time we were in Appalachia. I know it was in eastern Kentucky. I know that much. And there was a, um, a church building that had uh, the, the wooden windows that you propped up with a stick. And that was all they had there. And they, I remember they had a zinc bucket up uh, on a table on, in front and with a ladle in it. And that was their fountain. And as a boy, I was just stunned that during the sermon, somebody would just walk up within inches of my dad, take a drink, give a drink to the kids, put the ladle back in. This is pre-COVID. And I'll never forget one time it was so packed that people were standing around the open windows. And a couple of mules stuck their heads in the windows, which made my day. Uh, actually, that was the best church ever. Although you weren't allowed to look at them or notice it, because if you moved in our church, you're dead. Still, I, never, I always love this story, and I really think it's because of what they got away with. People are gathered to look into the window. These, these men have an issue. People are very interested in Jesus. We get that. But did you ever notice the phrasing about this? It says, some men brought their paralyzed friend. And I want to think about these men. Because in, in the little illustrations, I'd always seen, it was two guys carrying a litter. But it wasn't. The scripture says, some of them came and four carried him. So there were more than four. And it would indicate the way we normally use English here, or language, that we're looking at six or more men care about this man. It wasn't just two friends. Well, they're not family either, because in Scripture that would have been mentioned. Family, super important. If they were family members, they would say, but no, these were friends. Maybe they were workmates. Maybe they were there when the man had the accident that paralyzed him. Maybe they knew the family and knew that the family had nobody who would be able to leave their menial work long enough to get this man to Jesus. So they left their jobs, which when you left a job for a day, you were risking hunger. Do you remember? No, but your grandparents would and your great-grandparents would. You worked all day, all day, just so that you could have enough food to work all day tomorrow. That was the world. So they're giving up income. They're giving up time, and they are bringing their friend. Maybe they just even just wanted to help the family. Whatever their relationship, I just love it. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. This paralyzed man had a community. He had a community that cared for him. And then verse 5, we see a very short decision tree. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus could have gone a long way here. By the way, um, I, I do need to mention, also in those illustrations back then, the teachers would tell us, now the roofs, were, were thatched or that and so they just would move it over and lower him down that's not what it says it says they made an opening in the roof by digging through it I just want you to think Jesus is there talking about scripture and God and life moats and dust start to fill the air it's going back and forth 
And uh, then all, you know, there's a little bit of daylight. And then, I don't think it squeaked, but it's still right in front. And you know, you, you know, because you've been around church people. You know somebody who's back there going, oh, I don't approve of this. <laughs> this is what happens when you get the NIV. We all knew. We all knew. You walk away from the King James Version. This is going to happen someday. Clapping's next. Mark my words. So they're all, it's there. This was noisy. This was dusty. This was no picking up and setting down. This was work. When Jesus saw their faith... The men lowering. Nothing to do with the guy. He saw their faith. And the lengths they would go to for their friends. He said to the paralyzed man. He said to the man. Son your sins are forgiven. And that's where this narrative takes a twist. And we need to sit back and think about this twist for a bit. He calls the man son. That was not a, a normal greeting. From man to man. This should make us pay attention. There's a backstory here, and we're not getting the backstory. That's one of the frustrating things about the Gospels, is that they were written to people who knew the stories, so they didn't have to do all the details of the stories. We have to fill them in. But there's enough to make us wonder here was this man paralyzed because of a sinful or foolish activity? Was he a drunk? Who, who tried to work, but alcoholism's a real issue. It's, it's a real addiction. And did he fall off the roof and he was paralyzed and his friends are upset? Could be. We have no idea. But for some reason, the first instinct of Jesus Christ was to forgive him. I'm, I'm sure his friends wanted Jesus to heal his body. But Jesus wanted to clean up the issues in the man's past first. He wanted to start with a clean slate. And I want you to notice what's not in the book. Jesus did this without being asked to forgive. Jesus did this without any assurances from the man that the man would now live a cleaned up life. Jesus Forgave him. Even if the paralysis was from birth or the result of an infection or an accident, it still matters that Jesus forgave instantly without assurances, without promises from the man or his friends. He forgave, underline this in your brain, he forgave because that's what Jesus does. It's his first instinct. Now I've used this story so many times because it just, it reveals your go-to emotional response. Years ago, I was taking some friends on a trip to Scotland just to, to show them some bits and pieces. We were driving in a minivan so we could fit them in. And we were in Inverness, the capital of the highlands of Scotland. And I pulled off. We found a parking place, which was amazing. You know, we should have fallen down in prayer at the time, but we didn't. And I opened my door and a bit of wind may have caught it, or I just may not have been paying attention, but I nearly knocked a woman off the pavement. It was not entirely me there. She had to do one of those little hops out of the way, did not break stride, kept facing forward and said, Jesus loves you. And I was frozen. Because I know, but that's my job. 
And I'm, I know me enough to know that if that door had swung open on me, that would not have been the first reaction. It wouldn't have been. It, it would have been there. It would have been there. Five or six down the next day, I would have thought of that. And I think of that woman and I think of Jesus. First response, let's take care of this, son. Let's just get this done. Well, forgiveness is offensive. And you're going to find that out if ever you forgive people. You're going to find that other people are offended that you're forgiving them. It upset the teachers of the law here. And verse 6 has them thinking to themselves. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. It's important. Why does this fellow talk like that? They say to themselves. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I was, also, I was told growing up that we cannot forgive sins. What we can do is ask God not to lay, you know, not to hold them guilty for what they do. You know, we forgive them, but that doesn't forgive the sin. God has to do that, and therefore they have to go through all these steps. It's just not true. Jesus, in fact, told us in John chapter 20 and verse 23, if you forgive someone, they are forgiven. And then he warned us, but if you don't, they're not. He put that entire responsibility right on us. Do what he does. Forgive. And I love it uh, that Jesus let them know he knew what they were thinking. They were, think they were saying, it says here, how can he say that? Didn't say, how can he do that? How can he say that? And so Jesus asked aloud, which is harder to say? Jesus had a great sense of humor. Uh, we don't normally catch it because we're not Semitic people and don't know the way they did humor, but that was funny. It really was. So which would be harder to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up, take up your bed and walk. But since you need to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turned to the man, he said, get up, take your mat and go home. A couple of things there just fascinate me. One of the first ones is that uh, the miracle is almost an afterthought. It's not the most important part of the story. As I tell you time and time again, do not get blinded by the miracle and miss the lesson. Because Jesus forgives first, the love of the people, the community, all of these things. And by the way, Paul, the apostle Paul, would be saved by people lowering him on a rope in a basket one day. We don't get these people's names but the community around those people we know is as important as the people we know. We need the community. So they're lowered. But the other one is this. You're in church. We're doing an elastic thing here. You're in church. Why would you send them away? Well, would you want them to be in that church? That church is run by people that criticize someone for forgiving somebody from their sins. You don't want to be in that church. There might be a church fight. You don't want this guy later to write in his diary. I was healed today and got the leg broken in a church fight. So he said, go. Just go. Well, the story continues. Jesus, you see, is for us. He's with us. So, verse 13, and you'll miss this. If you don't realize there's a theme, you look at these as episodes. In verse 13, Jesus went out beside the lake. There was a big crowd. He began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, sitting there. He's a tax collector. Most probably not for the Romans, but certainly could have been for the Romans. 
it is more likely that he was a tax collector for the hated Herod. And the religious leaders hated Herod. Good reason, good reason. He was a horrible human being. Jesus stops and he goes, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Next line, while he was having dinner at Levi's house. Wow, there were some steps left off of that story that would have been interesting. Jesus immediately accepts, you follow me, I come to your house. That's the way it works. You want to, this, people often write me emails, well, what about, what about, because whenever I say, you want to be a member here, let us know. Oh, then you don't believe in this. And you're like, we believe in Jesus. He's got this sorted. We'll sort it out. Just, you want to come on? Let's just, let's do this. Let's be friends. Let's eat with each other. Having dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. The, the guy that wrote this book was on Jesus's side. And he even calls the crowd tax collectors and sinners. Whenever your own side's saying that, that's something. Jesus would have told him, in other words, he must have, get some friends together. I'll eat with them too. In the first century, you are who you eat with. It was a profound public statement because you did not go inside to eat. It, the kitchens were not inside. You ate outside. People saw you outside. This, nothing is done in private in those days. The idea of privacy is even a very strange one to the first century. When we take the Lord's Supper, I think we often miss the, that aspect of that ceremony or rite. He's eating with us, and we're eating with him. He's eating with us, and we're eating with them. We're eating with the people Jesus would eat with. And so, we have to be a judgment-free people. Instead, we are people full of love and grace. And we're not stupid. We can tell a, tr uh, a, a tree from its fruit. And we can understand actions and consequences. And we get that. But trumping everything is that Christ's loyalty and allegiance is to us. And he just asks for us to return the favor. And so we take the Lord's Supper, swearing fellowship, loyalty, and allegiance Yes, to Jesus, but also to the very people Jesus would eat with. Just a quick question. How, how much sleep did Matthew, Levi, get the first few weeks? Because already following Jesus were zealots. Zealots carried weapons against Roman law. They concealed them. And what they did was they attacked tax collectors and publicans. And anybody, not Republicans, it's a different story. Pub, um, people who would sell alcohol, they would, they would attack them. They would attack anybody that messed up the moral order of the day. And now, Jesus is saying, hey guys, meet Levi. This is John and James. Hug them. They rattle a little when you hug them, but they'll get over that. They're also, these, these two, in fact, were known as the sons of thunder. Do you remember that? They were known for wanting God to call down fire and kill people. Here, your new buddy Levi. And I'm eating with his friends. <laughs> oh my. Jesus called people who hated each other.
and that's not too strong a word, to walk, eat, and share together. If they wanted to follow him, that was the price. I'm going to go back and say it again, but I'm going to change the tense. Jesus calls people who hate each other to walk, eat, and share together if they want to follow him. Because if you don't, you're not going where he's going. And the definition of a follower <clears throat> is that you're going where he's going. So I just I want to ask a question. Who is your Levi? Who is your Samaritan? If you're a person who has standards that keep you from associating with someone with whom you disagree with their lifestyle, their doctrine, their decisions, their, their politics, whatever it is, get over it. And if you're a person who thinks that you could never fit into a community that follows Jesus, think again and come on in. If it makes others uncomfortable, well, we'll work with them to help them get over it. Jesus chooses, and he chose you, and he chose us, and he chose them, and he chose your Levi, he chose your Samaritan. Well, the next portion of the, um, the chapter, and I'm going to go ahead and zip through this, guys. I'd, I'd let them know I might or might not stop it right here. And for those of you that had your hopes up, Sorry. You may rush the stage, um, the next, but it will be recorded. The next portion of the chapter deals with religious traditions. And in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 28, it's worthy of its own sermon. And we'll get there. We'll get there. But believe it or not, there was a time in history where people thought that they had to follow a long set of traditions, rites, and liturgies, and actions to be viewed favorably by God. Who would have thought that was possible? Are you kidding? It's everyone. We just lay it out. We want Jesus and. Jesus and. And the and is a lot longer than the Jesus. I can still remember being given by my father to read a three-volume set on alleged contradictions in the Bible explained. I counted the pages because that's who I am. And I counted the pages of my Bible and realized the book was longer than the Bible. And it bothered me that I had to have a book longer than the Bible to explain to me that the Bible was okay. I was not free to say it at that time. I am now. Watch the, um, be, be a part of the Monday morning messages these next few months and see what, what happens. No longer, by the way, when Jesus shows up, no longer would outward actions be the sign that you're in Christ's community. It's inward action. It's inward attitudes that become outward actions. We do not do what we do so that we will be Christians. We are Christians so we do what we do. Now hearts are changed. Evidence is changed. What's going on? The Pharisees were saying, well, John's disciples fast and the good people fast. Why aren't your people fasting? Which means to do without food, generally not all food. Uh, it was, or, and it certainly wasn't for 24-7 for weeks or any of that. It was for a period of time giving up food, and it was a big part of religion then. And uh, Jesus assumed it would always be part, because he'd say, you know, when you fast. But they were, um, they were upset. Why aren't they doing the way we do things? And Jesus says, you're trying to fix old wineskins with new patches. 
And we don't really get that. Wine skins this bag of leather, and you would fill it up with wine, obviously, or water if you're doing that. If there was a leak, you'd get a patch. You put the patch on there. But you'd have to get a patch from an old wineskin so that when it op whenever it changed, it gave the same amount as the other. Think about roads in the north. And what happened? The different sections did not freeze and thaw at the same rate. So it's the same thing with wineskins. And Jesus here is saying, don't bring the old stuff and stick it in the new. I have friends who are so so interested in the way Jewish people did things in the Old Testament and the laws that they've convinced themselves we need all of that in Christianity too. No, we don't. We need Jesus in Christianity. The whole law was to bring us to Jesus. It wasn't wasted. It wasn't bad. It wasn't half measures. It did its job. And now Jews and Gentiles are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we can love one another. We don't need to add extra requirements to it. And that's something we just love to do. Let me just think about, let me ask a question here. And by the way, Jesus says, I got to do this. Jesus says something here and he goes, well, they would fast if they were sad, but the bridegroom's here. He says, I'm here. They're going to celebrate that. They're going to be appropriate. Think about that. If Jesus were to walk in the room right now, we know he's here spiritually. But if he walked in and we all knew it was Jesus, I think most of us would fall to our knees or flat on our face when that's not what he'd want at all. He'd want you to run over and hug him. That's appropriate. Fear? No, don't really need that. Run over and hug him. Touch him. Think about that. This is all new to them and Jesus knew it. So he said it's like, it's like patching wineskins. I'm, I'm not here to make Judaism better. I'm here to do something new. And then another criticism at the very end of the chapter. This time they're breaking the Sabbath. And here's something I, wanna, I really wanted to get this because it wraps up that Jesus is for you. That race where they come and give you the medal anyway. They said, listen, they're breaking the Sabbath. These are rules. These are important rules. And Jesus goes, I know they are. He didn't even... He, Later we'd understand. He could have said, I know, I made them up. I'm the one that gave them to you. But he didn't say that. He says, Sabbath was made for men, not men for Sabbath. In other words, it was designed to help you. It's, you guys have turned it into a burden. And then he gave an illustration. He said, remember when David and his men were, they were guerrillas fighting against King Saul and they got very hungry. And the only food they could find was in the temple. And it was a consecrated bread that you're not allowed to eat. Because if you eat that, they're supposed to kill you. But he ate it. And it was okay. Because he was hungry. People, that should be following you like a ton of bricks right now. Jesus saying, yeah, I know it was a law. It was my law. It came from heaven. We made the law. But he was hungry, so it's okay. He is not only with us, he is for us. It is stunning when you strip off the layers of obligations and fears. And he, then he wraps it up. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of man, 
Now that title we give to Jesus, and he accepts it. But do you understand why they called him son of man? Because the name son of man means average guy. He's just one of us. He had the most common name in the first century given to him. He's the son of man. The savior will be son of man. He'll be one of us. Yeah. And he said, you know, people, sometimes you need to be Lord even of this. You need to say, I'm hungry. This is okay. It's all right. You haven't failed God. He knows you're hungry. And we can apply that to so many other things. He forgives. He sees us. He brings us together. He doesn't enforce countless rules, but calls us to be like him. With our first response being forgiving, loving, serving, accepting, and being kind. In a few minutes, we're going to sing the grand old hymn, Blessed Assurance. But before we do, we're going to show you another video. I received a message a while ago that one of Cammy and my dearest friends, Paul Korf, up in Michigan, is fighting for his life with COVID. And he was in our house every Monday night. He and his wife and his son. His son and I played guitar together. We loved each other, still do. And Paul, I know Paul can't hear me. I know the video is not on where he is. But um, Paul, we love you and we're praying for you. And Marlene and Mark, we're with you and our prayers are with you. We also lost uh, Brian Derking's dad and Ashley's dad. Um, he died of COVID and complications of COVID a few days ago. It's hard. It's rough. There's no, no other way to put it. And Brian and Ashley, we love you. And we're here for you. Janet, we're here for you. Uh, these are all people who have shown by their lives that they are loving Jesus people. And then for ever since we started at our safe harbor, a uh, bright, wonderful lady, full of faith from Alabama, has chimed in every week that she could. Patricia. Now, Ashley and um, Michael, you know I struggle pronouncing the name. Herod Rosedick. I, what? Patricia. We love her even though I can't really pronounce the name well. And I, that's my fault and I apologize. But Patricia was fighting cancer of almost every kind, and it kept coming back harder and harder. Well, she took her last journey a couple days ago. Before she did, she made a video. So we'll hear from our dear sister Patricia, who now gets to eat at a table with Jesus. And then we'll sing Blessed Assurance. And then without pause, we're going to ask my brother Doug to come and close us out with a closing prayer, and to pray for those we've lost and for those who are losing people this week. Let's hear from Patricia. Patricia. 